Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Well, it's wonderful being with Emmaus Road. I um, first visited Guildford, I think, 17 years ago. I know, I was like two, right? No, just kidding. Just kidding, I wasn't. Um, so my accent is a little mixed up. If you don't understand something, I'm really sorry about that. I'm actually South African, lived in England for six years, and then moved to the middle of America. So I'm somewhere stuck in the Atlantic, is what my kids tell me, and um, they often correct my English, and then I tell them, actually, I'm the one who speaks correct English. And, uh, right? Yeah, those Americans. They think they own the world. Um, I'm an American. Um, I am actually an African-American, and I live in an African-American community, and so my neighbors always laugh at me when I say, well, I'm actually an African-American, and then they kind of giggle, and they go, yeah, you're probably more African than us, really, but... Anyway, so great to be here. I, um, my husband and I uh, lead Nava, which is a boiler room community in the very middle of America. So I'm seeing some familiar faces of people that have been to visit us. So it's so good to be with family. It really does feel like family here for us with you guys. I have three daughters. Um, we got a dog and Adam said it had to be a boy because he says too many girls in the house. So we have three girls. Um, they are not here tonight and having a fun time at our host home, which is wonderful. But um, they are nine, seven, and five. And so I've been very blessed with beautiful girls. And I do love them. So tonight I had really just been praying and asking the Lord, what would be a good message to share here? And um, this may sound a little bit strange, but I wanted to talk to you guys about the table. And I wanted to just open up the word for just a minute in Acts 2, 46 through 47. Acts 2 is really what we have um, set our lives around. And I know you guys at Emmaus do this as well, to live like the early church did. Those that had been with Jesus then, then went and taught others about what it was like to live with Jesus. And so when we read Acts, it's actually the continuation of Jesus in the earth, but not just in one location anymore, in many locations, right? In the hearts of people. He was continuing his ministry. And so when we read Acts, we really are still reading about the ministry of Jesus and how the ministry of Jesus multiplied throughout the known world of that time. So we're in Acts 2, 46 through 47. Sorry, I had kids with me the whole week, and so I do not have a PowerPoint. So if you have an electronic device or a Bible, or if you just like to listen to my nice mixed-up accent, you're welcome to do that. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their numbers grew as God added to those who were being saved. Listen to those words. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple. I think as the Western church, we've gotten this one down pretty good, right? We're quite disciplined at getting together and worshiping together. Adam gave a great talk this morning about the importance of singing together, of this worship, the gathering and the worship. 
But yet there's a second discipline here that I think we've kind of lost in the church a little bit, right? They actually discipline themselves to eat meals in their homes together. Isn't that amazing? What a beautiful God that we serve. That he doesn't just say, come and do the big things with me. He says, come and meet me in your homes together around a table. So in the U.S. right now, and I was looking at some statistics here in the U.K., there's actually a phenomena going on which is called the vanishing table. And they've coined it this. This is not Christians that have coined it this. This is the secular society. They're starting to do research, and they're starting to see that this new generation don't sit down at a table and eat anymore with their family. So it's kind of scary. The statistics now are two-thirds of Americans eat less than three meals a week at a table. And I know that sounds crazy. We can be like, oh, those Americans, they don't know anything, right? But the statistics in the UK are not far behind that. And so I really started looking to this uh, um, kind of when I started having kids and all of a sudden I was like, we've got, well, Adam and I ate at a table before that, but then the table time became really important to me. And sometimes Adam would look at me and be like, why are you trying to still make us sit down at a table when our two-year-old literally screams the entire meal? Like, don't put us through this torture, just feed them, get it over, and let's move on with the day. And I realized that there was something deeply planted within me about this importance of just sitting down at a table as a family and having a meal together. And so I started researching and looking into it. And it really came out of my love for it was growing up with incredible parents that valued this. So um, my biological father died when I was really young and we ended up living with my grandparents for a while. And they really started this tradition in my lives. They ate three meals a day at a table. And I remember my grandfather coming home from work and he would sit on the table and there would be a three course meal for him every night. Real fancy, right? And, uh, and I, but we loved it because we sat around that table as kids and we talked about our days and we um, had relationship. And those meals usually lasted over an hour, right? I was just sitting down together and talking. And we were small. My brother and I were four and two. And so we were really young. And you'd say, oh, kids don't have that kind of concentration span. But really, when there's when the presence of the Lord is at a table, kids really engage in that space in a really incredible way. And so anyway, we started building this there. And then my mom got married. My new dad adopted us. And he really brought the presence of God really significantly into the middle of our table, table time. And um, there, there we have some funny stories about it because I actually learned Afrikaans first, which is a South African language, one of 11 of them. And so my new dad was English, and so we started speaking English in the home. And the table actually, um, a, a Yale study came out a couple of years ago to say the number one place where kids learn language is at the dining room table. Isn't that amazing? They expand their vocabulary the most, not in school, but at the dining room table, listening to conversation. So I was learning a brand new language at the table, and... Um, I was quite keen on it, but we would eat together, we'd talk about our days, and then we would read the scriptures together. This is another amazing thing that the table does, is we are finding more and more as kids come out of high school that they don't read aloud anymore. So there's nothing in schools, I don't know how that is in the UK, but in the US this is vanishing pretty quickly, where people actually have to stand up and read out loud. 
Okay, so there's all kinds of other things, but actually reading out loud. And so we are starting to disciple people that have just come out of school or even in university, and they struggle to read more than a couple of sentences out loud. And they really kind of, it's actually my second, my kid that's nine reads better than they do. And I'm like, wow, what, what is happening? But we would pass the Bible around the table. And even as little kids, we would have to read. Now, I was obviously a little too young to read, but once we started reading. And so they would read, we'd pass it around, we'd read a couple of verses, and then we'd discuss the Bible together. And the first book of the Bible that we did was Proverbs. Now you're all thinking, right, that's a super exciting one for little kids, right? Proverbs. And so we read through the whole book of Proverbs, and it was great. We kind of talk about it, and then they got to the end, and they said, okay, Julie, would you like to explain to us what the point of Proverbs is? And I said, well, it's good to be wise, but it's really bad to be a bird. <laughs> and they, they were like, it was before the time of angry birds, let me tell you. I'm a little older than that. And so no angry birds there, but they're just, they kind of like, you know, scratched their head. They were really puzzled. They're like, what are you talking about? Bad to be a bird? We didn't read anything about birds in Proverbs. Did this like totally go over your head? And I was like, no, you know, they keep saying like, don't be a bird, don't be a bird. And they finally figured out that the Afrikaans word for bird is fool. And I thought that every time they said fool, they were saying a bird. It's not good to be a bird every time. So this is like bad translation, right? Totally lost in translation on me. Um, I have now figured out that it is good to be wise and not to be a fool, but a birds, birds are all right, right? I like birds. My three-year-olds, I mean, my five-year-old's favorite, favorite animal in the world is a flamingo. I mean, come on, flamingos, guys. They are bright pink and they stand on one leg. I mean, they're amazing. So birds are pretty cool in our house now, but I didn't like them when I was little, obviously. Um, so there's something about this, about being around the table and talking together. Our, our table was so significant in our family. Um, my parents were so committed to us sitting around the table for at least one meal a day. As a whole family, we usually ate all of our meals there, but different family members weren't at the table every day. So for a period of time, um, my parents' work meant that they were out every night teaching, or most nights teaching. And so they talked about it and decided that the best time for us to have dinner would be at 6 a.m. in the morning instead of 6 p.m. at night. And I'm not talking about like, you know, the full grill, bacon and egg stuff. I'm talking about meat and potatoes dinner at 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, kind of crazy, right? But some of the sweetest moments we had as a family because we would get up at 5.30, get ready for school, and 6 a.m. we'd be sitting at the table and bless my sweet mother who got up at 4 a.m. probably and cooked those meals. But we would sit there, we would eat together as a family, we would talk about our days, we would pray for each other, we would read the Bible, and at 7 a.m. we would leave for school. So we had one hour together every morning during those years that we were you know, not together every night. And so this was something that we really cultivated in the family. It was a place where we talked about world events and we talked about cultures. And once a month, my mom would do this really crazy creative thing where she'd make us all dress up like a culture somewhere in the world. And then we would eat the food from that culture. And sometimes I did not like it at all. And so it taught me perseverance because I had to finish the food on my plate, right? And often I would be sitting there long after the hour of dinner was done, 
you know, with the couple of things left on my plate. I won't tell you which cultures stayed, I stayed the longest at the table for. It wasn't the British culture. It's all right. I like British food. Um, and so we, we learned about different cultures, but I was so grateful for those things when I started traveling with Youth with a Mission and I went to some crazy places and I really had to eat the food because it's super honoring, you know, to eat the food that's put in front of you. And sometimes that's the only food they have. And we're like, oh, don't want to eat that. But I had a real happy heart. I was like, I've learned perseverance. I've learned to love culture. And I'm going to eat whatever's put in front of me. And it, was, it really taught me about perseverance. It taught me about patience. When my brother was talking, I often would talk over the top of him. Or usually it was the other way around. Let's be real about that. He would talk over me because he has 500 new ideas every day. And I was happy to just listen. But um, my parents taught us at the dinner table how not to interrupt and to give time to someone else to speak. Right? So important, all these lessons that we learn at the table. Um, and then my, you know, so obviously I love it and I wanted to do it. But then when I was doing it with my own kids, I had to all of a sudden be like, okay, so why is this really important to me? It's not just a tradition that I'm carrying on, but what is the heart of this? What, where is the, the seed of this really coming from? And so I started studying the scriptures about table and the place of the family meal in the Bible. And all of a sudden I discovered that God actually created us for this. Can you believe it? Think about all the other animals in the world. Who of them sit down at a table and eat? Isn't that amazing? He made us to eat together as families, to come together to a central place, to look each other in the eye, to have a conversation, and to enjoy food. He created our bodies to sit down at a table. First of all, guess how many like taste buds you have on your tongue, right? like over 10,000 taste buds. We can taste different things in different ways. Why would God do that? Why didn't he just make it? My husband does this great thing. He says, why don't we just like, well, there's not a tree in the room. Like why, like food takes so much time, the preparation, the, the eating of it, the cleaning up of it, all of this stuff. Why did God do that? Well, because it would be so easy, wouldn't it, if we just had to touch the ground and be like, recharge, all right, ready to go again, you know? I've, I'm good, I'm good to go, I've got the energy. But no, he creates something with different colors and different flavors and different ways to prepare it. I mean, if you travel the world, you're like, how did this potato become like this? I don't know, you know? The jacket potato, amazing. <laughs> right? The jacket potato can also be a chip in America or a crisp in England right? It can be all kinds of things. All the good old McDonald's fries. I don't know what they do to the potatoes to get them to be like that, but there you go. They make something out of them. Maybe they're not potatoes. Um, anyway, so, you know, there's all these different ways of doing it. It's so creative. It taps all these places within us. And why did he do this? Because he enjoys food and he wanted us to enjoy food. We're made in his image. He wants us to enjoy eating together. He wants there to be pleasure. Listen to what they did. They celebrated in every meal. They were exuberant and joyful when they ate together. What a beautiful picture of the church, sitting around a table enjoying. Most of the Old Testament is set up around feasts and fasts, both around food, either eating food or not eating food, right? Almost all of it. 
Every week the Jewish people came together and remembered God in a meal. Every year they came together and remembered God in a meal. There were so much memories, smells, tastes tied up into their, into their faith, the very core of who they are. Physiologically, our bodies are made to sit down when we eat. Did you know that? The healthiest thing to do when you're eating is to sit down. Your body actually metabolizes the food quicker. You feel full quicker when you're sitting down. Isn't that so interesting? We eat healthier when we sit down. We have better portion control when we sit down. This is not like, you know, Christian stuff that I'm finding out. This is scientific research shows that it, the healthiest state for our bodies to be when we are eating is sitting down. Now, you don't have to sit at a table necessarily. You can sit on a picnic blanket, right? Or on the floor like some cultures do. But actually being seated, slowing our lives down enough to enjoy the food that we're taking in and enjoy the people that we're eating it with. This is part of the rhythms that God sets up in our life. Why is another reason our bodies are made for food? Because we were always created to need someone, something outside of ourselves to fulfill us. We were created that way to remind us that we are not enough on our own. We cannot sustain our own bodies. We need something that's from outside of us to come inside of us, to become us, to sustain us. And so it is an actual picture of the gospel, eating a meal. We are gospeling when we eat. Isn't that amazing? We see God and we say, you have to come inside of me and fill me up so that I can be sustained, not one time, but three times a day. Or maybe more in my case. I need him a lot more than three times a day to keep going, right? And so we, we need to see this as part of our Christian life, sitting down and eating a meal together. So important. Um, of course, God, we don't think about this, but God actually gave very, very specific instructions for there to be a table built in the holy place. So the tabernacle, when we're reading about how he sets up the whole tabernacle, part of his instruction is actually that we have to sit. They had to set a table. They had to build this table. I'd kind of like this table. It's totally overlaid in gold. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of nice. I like that one. It's in Exodus 25. If you want to go look at it, he actually gives the exact dimensions of how to build the table and exactly where to put it. And it was right in front of the veil into the Holy of Holies. And he said, set it there, put the bread of the presence on the table so that it will be forever before me. So in the tabernacle, God's presence is sitting at a table. Isn't that amazing? He is seated at a table waiting for his people to come and meet with him, right? He, the, the presence is actually sitting on a table waiting for us. And now we know that that is a picture, of course, of the real bread of life, the real bread of the presence, Jesus. And so when Jesus rocks up on the scene, what does he do? Have you read the Gospels lately? He eats with people. That's what he does. He goes around and eats with people to the point that the Pharisees go, he is a glutton. He eats so much with people that people are like, whoa, dude, you're totally like 
not doing all the spiritual things. You're, you're eating, 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 eating with people. That's what you're doing. He's actually filling up his time by sitting at people's tables and eating with them. And so this is the Jesus that we follow. Isn't he amazing? I love him. Um, but as we follow Jesus' life, he does a couple of things quite a few times when he eats. And we see the best picture of this at the Last Supper. And this is one of my favorite meals in the Bible. Isn't it beautiful that when Jesus takes his friends away to tell them about his death, he doesn't give them a teaching. He doesn't stand up in front of them and preach to them. He has them seated at a table where he can look each one in the eye and he can eat with them. He can enjoy one last meal with them. And so in Matthew 26, we see, um, we see the story of the Last Supper. And it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks or had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take this and eat it. It is my body. Jesus now becomes the very bread of the presence that was sitting on the table in front of God in the holy place. When we come to Jesus, we come to a table. We come and sit with our Father. We come and tell him about our days, right? We also take Jesus inside of us. He becomes us and he sustains us. This shape of giving thanks or blessing the food, breaking it and sharing it is repeated multiple times throughout Jesus' life and throughout the Gospels. We see when he multiplies the bread for the 5,000, he takes it, gives thanks, breaks it, and shares it. We see it um, a few times after his resurrection. And one very significant time, actually, after the, the Emmaus Road experience, right? This is for you guys. You guys are called to sit down at a table with Jesus, to hear him tell the story, and for him to Give thanks, break the bread, and to share it with you so that you can go running back with your hearts burning inside of you to share the good news of Jesus again and again and again and have that bread of life that you've received multiply over and over and over again. And so I really feel like this is a word for you guys, that you would be a people of feasting, to sit down at the table with Jesus and with each other and to give thanks first and foremost. What is thankfulness? It is the very seed of worship. We do this with our kids every day. We sit down at the table, and sometimes it's terrible, and sometimes it's wonderful. But we are consistently teaching them to be thankful for their days. Not only are we thankful for the food that we're eating, but we're thankful for the life of Jesus in our day. And so our kids have to say at the end of every day what they were thankful for from only that day. They're not allowed to go back to the day before, right? It's only that day, what are you thankful for? And sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes that's the hardest for Adam and I because we're like, this day was just terrible. I wanted to end, right? And I can go back to like last month when I was zooted by the Holy Spirit and be really thankful for that. But to find Thanksgiving in every day, in every place is so important for our generation, especially because we like complaining about what went bad in the day. And often when we're sharing stories around the table, it's about like how bad our day was or how horrible that person was or what this happened which is important to share. 
But if we can start with the place of thankfulness, we will change and revolutionize our generation to start finding the places of thankfulness. So sometimes my, my five-year-old, for two years, she said exactly the same thing every day for her thankfulness. I'm thankful for mommy, and I'm thankful for, my, for puppies. That was the one, the one right before that. Thankful for mommy, I'm thankful for puppies. And we're like, what about mommy are you thankful for? I'm just so thankful for you, mommy. I mean, what do you say? Like, how do you keep going on that? But what about mommy are you thankful for? Come on, let's explore this. Now, all of a sudden, she's starting to figure it out. Oh, right, I've got to actually explore and expand my thankfulness. Not just one thing that I'm thankful for, but start explaining and exploring, start a discussion. We do... Um, we do a conversation ball sometimes at the table. And if you don't have an actual ball, you can just like kind of smush up a napkin or a serviette, right? And, um, and then we'll give it to one of the kids and we say, you have to throw it at somebody. They have to catch it and start a conversation. And then whenever they're done with talking, you kind of got to pass it on to somebody else and then they have to keep going with the conversation. So we talk to them about this because so often we don't learn how to have a conversation with people anymore, right? And the, the table is such a great place for that. They, um, Google uh, is, you guys all know what Google is, right? Yeah, that's it's big. I'm like trying to be like, is that just an American thing? No, Google, uh, whoa. Uh, no, I know the internet's here, but you know, sometimes these things are, it's, it's really big in Kansas City because Kansas City was the first city in, in the world to have Google Fiber. So if you, if you want to stream anything, you can come visit us. Just for that, not actually our house because we live in the wrong neighborhood. So they, don't, they didn't come to us, but, our, but the church is, the church building is, we got Google Fiber. Anyway, so... Google, for it's like top secret, their um, interviews to employ people is top secret. You have to actually sign a paper to say you will not say what they did in their interview process, which is kind of interesting. But some of it has leaked out just a little bit. And one of the things they do, it's like a whole day interview process, if you get to that point where you actually come for the interview, is they take you out for a meal. And they just watch how you interact at the table with the other people around you, with the waitron, see I'm really politically correct there, the waitron, right? <laughs> uh, you haven't heard of that? Yeah, that's like the neutral term for a waitress or a whatever, waiter, I don't know, waitron. Uh, they see how you interact, they see how generous you are in tipping. They see if you even offer to pay for the bill. Because they're wanting to see how do you interact in a normal social setting around a table. So if you want a good job one day, Start sitting down at a table and eating a meal together, right? It, it prepares you for life. But anyway, so thankfulness is this first thing. Jesus gives thanks. He blesses us. Aren't we so blessed to be able to eat? Uh, the next thing he does is he actually breaks the bread. We have to understand that the place where restoration is going to come to our broken society is at the, at the dining room table, not in our churches necessarily. The brokenness of the world is going to be mended and restored at tables in all of our homes. I'm not just saying this because it sounds nice, but because there's actual statistical facts that now show that family meals have more to do with self-esteem, confidence, 
lower substance abuse and obesity, then income levels, extracurricular activities, so being involved in sports or clubs, family structure, having a single or double parent home or blended families, or regular attendance to church. So just the family meal has more impact on self-esteem, confidence, lower substance abuse, and obesity than any of the other things. Just that one basic thing of sitting down at a table together. Jesus shows us how he restores someone over a meal with Peter. In John 21, we see Jesus on a beach building a fire. And he calls to John in the water. And John comes swimming like he does, you know, just crazy, throws it all off, leaves everyone else to do the work and comes swimming through. Um, and kind of comes up on the beach, dripping wet, and comes up to a fire. Now, only in two places in the Bible is this word for fire used very specifically. And it is actually a charcoal fire. Isn't that really interesting? It actually is very specific about what type of fire Jesus has built. The only other time, can you guess, when this word is used for a charcoal fire is at Peter's denial of Jesus. He was standing around a fire and they asked him and he denied Jesus three times. And so Jesus doesn't just restore him through a meal, but through the actual smell of charcoal. He builds a fire that would restore Peter all the way, restore the smell, you know, restore the senses. Bring him back to the place again of saying, you do love me. You are my disciple. And he does that all around a meal so intentionally. You know that I think we can restore and bring hope back into a generation again. by just simply sitting down and inviting people to a meal that engages the senses. Um, the last thing that Jesus does is that he gives the bread away. The meal table can be our most missional place in our lives. The greatest mission we might have is just to cook a meal and invite somebody over. Before you invite someone to this great gathering, you should invite them to your home, to a table, to sit down and have a conversation. Over time, meals can create a new reality in people's lives. We get to not only just share the kingdom when we have a meal, but we get to model the kingdom so significantly. Adam and I live in a neighborhood where most of the kids are from single family households. And honestly, most of them don't have dads. And so just the fact that we sit down at a table and the kids in our neighborhood get to see it because they come play basketball at our house almost every day. They see Adam sitting down with these girls and eating a meal with them every night. And one of the little boys, um, well, he's not too little, he's 13. He told me one day, he said, you know, one day I'm going to have a family and I'm going to do what you guys do. I'm going to sit down with my kids around a table. And we didn't have to share the gospel with him. We just had to model something different to his society and his reality, Right. And so he now has his life totally changed because we just sat down at a table together. Isn't that incredible? I know most of you here are probably not married and you're like, come on, you're talking about family meals around tables. 
I'm in, uni, I'm in uni, right? I don't, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to give you some encouragement. We have a guy that was part of our community um, some years ago. And we, we talked about sitting down at the table. All of our missional communities have to share in some type of their rhythm a meal together. And so he, you know, was kind of discipled in this way. And he ended up getting accepted into Harvard University for architecture. And he went and it was crazy busy. He said he pulled all nighters like a couple times a week. And they got into finals week. And he was, it was such a stressful environment. Everybody was so stressed. And he just, kept, he just had a moment with the Lord. And he's like, God, how do I bring your presence into this place? Like, how do I bring your kingdom into this extremely stressful environment? Actually, it was so stressful that multiple people were being hospitalized because they weren't sleeping enough and eating enough during finals, right? And so the pressure was so intense. And so he, he felt like the Lord said, do you remember the table? I want you to cook a meal. I want you to take an hour off every day. And I want you to sit down and eat and invite all your classmates to come and eat with you. And so he started doing this. In finals week, he had every day one hour. And he just sent out an email and he said, anyone who wants to come eat with me from this hour to this hour, you can just come and sit and be at peace and eat a meal. And he kind of thought like, oh, maybe one person would show up. He did this. And over the four years of being there, the last year he was there, 150 people came and ate with him. It's a lot of food, right? That's what you're thinking. All the practical people in the room is like, how did he afford that? And the Harvard, it's the school loans. School loans are awesome for that. No, I'm just kidding. No, he created a space to the point, like it, by the second year, it had grown so much momentum that the dean of the college came and talked to him and said, what, are, what you're doing is transforming our school. And all he was doing was creating a place at the table for people to just take a moment to sit down and be seen and be heard. You can reduce suicide rates. You can reduce depression. You can re reduce sibling rivalry, right? By just creating a meal for people. Because you can't go too long with being very depressed or very sad or very angry without looking at someone across the table in the eye and having to talk. And so the table is created by God for our enjoyment, I had another friend who, she was single and she lived on her own. And she was like, oh, I just don't even want to make a space. At, I, she's like, I don't even own a dining room table. I have a tiny kitchen, a tiny apartment. And she was like, I just don't even want to do this. And, and she really felt challenged by the Lord to do it. And so she got a really tiny little like card table, stuck it in her kitchen. And she decided that... She didn't know anybody yet that she could invite to her table. So she just sat down every day, ate her meal at the table and invited Jesus to eat with her. And it totally transformed her life because she had a rhythm with Jesus of just sitting down and eating with him. And soon enough, there were other people in her life that she could invite to that table. She now lives in Detroit in one of the worst cities of America. It's like so broken, so, so done. And do you know what her family did when they got there? They just made a meal for the kids after school and said, any kids who want to come can come sit with us at our table and eat dinner with us. And they have this incredible ministry just by that, by her just sitting and saying, the bread of the presence is enough at my table, right? So I would like to, to invite you tonight to, 
come back to the table. And many of you maybe already do it, but Harvard has come out with a study to say the tipping point, right? The tipping point is five meals a week at a table. As soon as you go from five or more meals a week, all of the benefits of it start working, right? So five meals, that's not too hard, right? We can all do that. Five meals at a table. We all have to eat three times a day, so I think five out of that's not too bad. Can I invite you to be intentional about your tables? Some of you maybe do eat more than five meals a week at the table, but have you, when last did you invite Jesus to come to your table with you? To be the center of your table, the bread of life at your table. So two challenges. Increase the number of meals at your table. And if you already have them, invite Jesus to those, those meals. And secondly, increase the time that you spend at the table. It's five meals a, a, a week and more than 15 minutes a meal at a table. That's all it takes to reap all of the benefits of sitting at a table and sharing a meal together. Now, 15 minutes is really short in our lives. It's quite easy, really. But I'd encourage you to do more if you can. But if you can't, just 15 minutes of intentionality can really change your life. Make place at your table for Jesus. Make place at your table for others. And most importantly, invite the Holy Spirit to show you one person that you can invite to your table. Just one. You might change their life forever.